I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, hello, everyone, and you join us here today to talk about the most iconic watches in the world. And you need to know about them. Well, hello there, Tom. Uh, are you a fan of an iconic watch? I love an iconic watch, but you know me, I'm a very subtle guy. I can't carry off anything that's too eye-catching. <laughs> I don't think that's very fair on yourself. I think you could rock it if you tried it. Why don't we pick 10 iconic watches between ourselves and we'll see if we feel a little bit differently at the end. Why don't you go first, Tom? Okay, I've chosen the most iconicest of, of watches. Yep. That's a word. Of course. I'm talking about the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak. It's undeniable, arguably one of the most recognisable luxury watches ever around. You've got that octagonal bezel, the octagon being the strongest shape. (laughs) That's why you see them all the time in bridges. That's maths. You've got the hexagonal crown with those hexagonal screws, impossible screws as I like to call them. The tapisserie dial, of course, or the waffle dial, if you will. I love going to the tapisserie in the morning and getting myself a nice pastry. Exactly. But all these elements are, they're almost forgettable on their own, but when they're all together, it just creates this very, very powerful, striking angular watch. And I think it is very sort of linked to 70s brutalist design. Obviously, um, Gerald Genta famously scribbled it on a napkin the day before it was due to release or something. But it, it sort of transcends that now. It, it, it's its own thing. I think the Royal Oak is like, it's the first clickbait in the watch industry. Right. Mr. Mr. AAP, whoever the CEO was at the time, said, I need something that is completely different. Like, make this thing jump out and grab your eyes and not let go. If you draw a crown, look at all the other crowns and just draw it different just because. If you're going to draw a bezel, look at all the others. Do the same. Make it as different as possible. That was That's what it was all about. It was supposed to be deliberately, specifically iconic so people would spend big, big money on it. Still works. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, iconic watches and very famous watches and famous brands run the risk of oversaturation and, and, and people, they can sort of tire of it a little bit. But I think you're in denial if you say you don't want a Royal Oak. I think secretly you do. Everybody does. I'll be interested to see how long that lasts for because it did fade after time the first time around. And um, I imagine it will fade after time again. A bit like bell bottom jeans, Tom. That goes around every now and then, doesn't it? Yeah, it all goes around, but it never really goes away. 
Well, Tom, from a watch designed on a napkin to a watch that is modelled after the Renault FT17 World War One tank, uh, this is the Cartier tank. Did you not know that? I didn't, no. I thought... Uh... I just thought it was French for something classy that I didn't know about. <laughs> no, it's literally Louis Cartier. He went to war. He saw a tank. And where most people would think, ah, run, death, panic, he thought, I'll draw that and make a watch out of it. So when you look at the Cartier tank, it does come in a number of different shapes, but ultimately the tank still has that straight lines down the side around the body. It's, it's the plan uh, shape of a tank. The two parallel brancards are an established signature of the tank watch. Yeah, that. A quick check in Google Translate. Brancards uh, translates to stretch. <laughs> so um, if you look at it another way, it looks like the dial <laughs> is being stretched off the pitch. Um, wow. On a steel stretcher. Fascinating how elegance has been drawn from basically Louis Cartier's PTSD from World War One. It's not the first time it's happened in Cartier that misery has been turned into luxury. You've got this. You've got the crash. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Is that, that's a rumour, though, isn't it? I just think someone accidentally left a uh, Ballon Bleu on the stove or something, and uh, that's what <laughs> came out. The other hot tidbit on the tank is that the ones with the bracelet, they have been specifically designed that from the side profile, they uh, form a tank track. They're so good. Clever, aren't they? It's not my favourite bit, though. Are you going to say Cabochon? Cabochon. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. You know, I think it's just it's just a little extra touch of class that you don't get with other watches, do you? It kind of transcends the ordinary watch, you know, yeah. a little jewel. It's it's not something that you see. I'd love to have more sort of spinels attached to things in my everyday life, you know. <laughs> I think they're quite fun. You, you almost want to sort of pry it out the crown and then, you know, put it in the recess in the coat of arms above the fireplace, don't you? Yeah, like... Yeah, lovely. So my next undeniable icon of watchmakery is the Grand Seiko Snowflake. When I first saw this watch, I think you handed it to me to take pictures of. I'd never seen one before. You said, oh, you know, this is a snowflake and there's a snowy texture on the dial. And I thought, oh, hello. What watch dials can be escapism now? I'd never really seen anything like that. It's That texture was sort of almost kind of transportative a little bit it was like oh wow that's really cool like watchmakers always strive for that combination of fine arts and engineering and and i think i thought that was just really perfectly represented on this dial plus you had that blue second hand with that perfect sweep thanks to the spring drive and those two together is just an irresistible combination that snowy textured dial and then that smooth sweep of the second hand is just so good it's just a stunning watch, isn't it? It just looks so fresh, the white and the blue together, and then you've got that high-intensity titanium case. Yeah, it's a personal favourite of mine, and I think it's a true icon. And it's and again, it's it's hard to argue with, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's so serene, that watch. Yeah. It's like the snowy Japanese equivalent of the eyes of Hypnotoad. You just <laughs> you just look into it and you can't look away. You spend time being there in that place the translucency that's in there the delicacy of it and that sweep of the second hand just for a, just for a split second moment you feel like you're somewhere else mm. tom have you heard of a little watch called the moon watch you'll notice the I left moon a, watch yes you, you notice the deliberate absence of a particular letter in those two words i have indeed of course heard of a moon watch do you remember what was happening in 1969 tom 
I don't remember it. I mean, I've seen footage. <laughs> Do you don't have any brain footage of it? <laughs> yeah, no brain footage. In 1969, many things happened, but two specific things happened that are worth mentioning in this context. One, Hoyer, Breitling, Hamilton, and a few others came up with the first automatic chronograph movement. Cool. Pretty cool. Contrast that with the other thing that happened. Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, they stepped on the frickin' moon. Those crazy guys. It's hard to believe that those two things, like, oh, we put a rotor weight on a chronograph and we went to the moon, happened in the same year. Yeah. When I grew up, we had jackass. (laughs) Almost as dangerous as going to the moon. (laughs) But the watch that went to the moon wasn't one of those automatic watches. It was the Omega Speedmaster. Now, some might say it was in the right place at the right time. Others might say that it was perfectly suited for the job. Whatever happened, I personally think it's one of the most iconic watches ever because it's the only watch to have ever been involved with humanity's greatest achievement. Yeah, that line there sort of almost overtakes it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's the watch that the astronauts wear. You know, if you were shown two watches, right, this one, this one's a chronograph, this one's a chronograph. Uh, This one is the watch uh, of choice for the heroes of space exploration (laughs) and George Clooney. You go, right, well, that one then. (laughs) George Clooney, you say? (laughs) Now, other watches did go to the moon in subsequent Apollo missions. But as we all know, second comes right after first. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not interested in subsequent... (laughs) So my next one is the IWC Big Pilots watch. Again, um, we've been talking previously about German design aesthetic of just letting the visual design recede so that the functionality can be more pronounced. Um, But then what happens there is really interesting is that the the design actually is really, really characterful and it, it actually just looks like a really cool watch at the same time. It's quite clever how they do it. I don't know how they do it. But this watch just slaps you in the face with its legibility, doesn't it? You know, you've got your big white hands and your big white numerals, those chunky indices. You've got that very famous oversized crown. Again, for the for the functionality of allegedly being able to set the time while wearing gloves and, and piloting your plane. Obviously now, you know, that's not a necessity, but it just looks cool. And ultimately, if, you've, if you think this watch is an icon, but you can't stomach the size, you can just wear the pilot's watch which borrows all the same aesthetics, but is in in a size that's actually wearable. Yeah, they transpose all, the, all that design language, don't they, across various things, but it still retains that iconic appearance. It's a fan favourite of crooner John Mayer as well, who's well-renowned for picking watches and something-something sexy man. So crunchy, you guys. <laughs> From one pilot's watch to another, Tom... This is in the era when individuals started to take to the skies and clubs of aviators would join together and they all uh, collaborated to knock on the door of Mr. Willie Breitling to make them a watch. He had the chronomat, which was a chronograph for mathematicians and could be used by engineers, mathematicians, scientists for working out cool things in the lab. But they wanted a version calibrated for pilots because back in the day you didn't have computers and wizardry you had to fly long ago how much fuel have i got left and will it last oh i don't know 10 divided by one times three no i'm gonna die and the breitling navitimer was the watch that they used to calculate it with 
Now, this is in a world and an era where people needed those watches to do things, rather than just to pose with, and this was a watch they actually asked for, and for me that makes it very emblematic in the world of aviation specifically, because it was just a creation of necessity. Now, it does look like someone stole all the numbers and poured them into one watch. It is a number hog, and trying to read it is a little bit like doing an eye test through a peephole on the other side of the door. But these days, we're only wearing it because it looks nice anyway, right? I think that's part of the fun, isn't it? It is esoteric, but it's not important. It looks quite serious, but that's fun. You go, wow, what's going on in your watch? I don't know, but look at this. And then you twist the uh, the slide bezel around and around. Yeah, it's cool. It looks professional. It looks like, because I don't understand it, that must mean it's professional. Yes. The pilots understood it, and they're definitely professional. Might not be something you see on the uh, the flight deck of uh, an EasyJet 737, but definitely on the wrist of an aging celebrity who has his own airport and 747. You know the John Travolta I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. So the next one I would like to talk about is the Tudor Black Bay. Now, you could argue in terms of its iconicness that it is perhaps riding on the coattails of a uh, bigger brother, but um, I'd like to think that it's come into its own now, especially the Black Bay. I think it's got its own iconic language that separates it from other watch brands. You've got just just very, very subtle design cues here and there. You've got the, the red marker at 12 on the bezel. You've got that gold track around the dial, the snowflake hour hand, and the rivets on the bracelet. Again, like the Royal Oak, they're all very sort of subtle idents, but they all just come together to, to sing and make the watch much greater than the sum of its parts in my eyes, I think. You know, I kind of agree with you. It has appropriated the look of the Submariner that the Submariner left behind. Throw in the, the snowflake hand and actually it becomes its own thing. It's, it's, it's not necessarily an icon of the ages, but it is becoming a modern icon for people who want to buy a nice watch but don't want to spend Rolex money. It's like an icon in an icon. It's like the emblematic people's choice, isn't it? It's like Che Guevara t-shirts. Yeah, the the t-shirt is an icon of of an icon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some people might think it's like Sylvester Stallone's less successful brother, Frank, but actually it (laughs) is its own thing now. So it's like the, the lesser Hemsworth as well. He's now he's now getting jobs. But yeah, I think I think it's it's standing on its own two feet now in the iconic watch space. I would agree with that. I think many people wouldn't, but I do. And that's partially because I own one. People don't disagree about watches. What are you talking about? <laughs> they definitely don't disagree about this next one. This is the Casio F91W. And yes, There are other Casios for the same price that are slightly better. Perhaps they're in metal or have extra functionality or are designed in a more visually appealing way. But this is the one that we all had that we were born with. Rite of passage. It's like, first of all, slap his bum, check his breathing, strap on the F91W, then (laughs) cut the umbilical cord. In fact, they probably pulled the watch tight enough and that was the little clamp that you had on there. That's who we are, right? Yeah. The F91W was our, for our generation, it was our first computer. It was our first computer game. It was our first piece of technology. It's our first smartphone. Because your imagination let you do all of those things with it because otherwise you had to sit in assembly bored out of your mind singing hymns. 
That's why it's iconic. It's certainly iconic to my life. It was the kickstart of that fascination. That might not be the same for everyone, but I think it's the same for a lot of people who are going to be listening to this right now. Yeah, I think it's kind of saying like, oh, it's, you know, a spoon is iconic. Oh, do you remember spoons? Like I used to eat my cereal <laughs> with a spoon. It's just like... It, Still do. It's like it's just, it just exists. It just is. It will always be there at the same price and the same appearance. Yeah. Good one. Next, I'm talking about the Zsuzsa Le Coute Reverso. Now, it is undeniably iconic. Whether or not you can pull off the rectangular nature of it, uh, like, the, like the Cartier tank, there's something extra classy about rectangles, don't you think, on a watch? It's definitely a case of, are you good enough for it and not the other way round? <laughs> yeah. So the concept of the Reverso is that it's a swiveller. Uh, made to withstand polo <laughs> matches. You're a swiveller. It has a reversible case, which can be flipped to protect it against polo balls. Again, like so many of the uh, original ideas that conceived these watches, not so much a huge function anymore, but still uh, that, that design language is carried through and, and now you've got this very, very fun, satisfying, flippy-cased watch that you can flip over and, and conceal the dial and lock it into place uh, in a very pleasing way the dial comes in various styles but the watch itself is always mistakable that case you get that perfect geometry and symmetry tom you say this watch has no function anymore but i think it's the perfect watch for the public school boy you reckon to protect him from when he plays polo still when he plays rugger rugger tom bloody ruggers yeah, yeah for rough housing well i was thinking paintball was probably the modern day equivalent. <laughs> it is an immaculately beautiful watch, isn't it? And a, and a real testament of the fact that Gégé Lecoultre continues to be the most understated and underappreciated watchmaker in all of watchmaking ever. Yes. And more people should own them. Yeah, sure. Tom, for our last iconic piece, you're probably wondering where all the Rolex at, yo. Well, here's one. It's the Daytona. Of course. How much more iconic can you be than being worn by Mr. Paul Newman? Than by having a waitlist since about 1991? Than being the depiction of the chronograph watch whenever anyone refers to a chronograph watch? This will be the watch of the ages when archaeologists in the future wonder what we were doing mucking about with mechanical watches still when we had spaceships it will be the Daytona that they will use as the example in their PowerPoint presentation. It's not the best. It's certainly not the worst. It's not the most beautiful. It's not the most complicated, but it is the most, most. Do you know what I mean? It's the most iconic. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's like the Royal Oak brought the 70s design into focus. The Daytona did the same thing with, with the racing chronograph watch. It just, just brought all that stuff into focus and, and, and then it was like, right, done. Print it. Yeah. Lest we forget that after the quartz crisis, the Daytona's popularity is, is really part of what made Omega skirt the line between failing completely and going bankrupt and, and coming back again. It, it paved the way in the modern era for us to appreciate the chronograph watch. And we've got to thank it for that, at least. Yeah. Well, there you go, dear viewer and listener. Those are our top 10 most iconic pieces. If you think there are any better ones and you think we're stupid, 
tell us down in the comments below. Otherwise, please do like and subscribe and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.